It's 2003. I'm in the fourth grade and I'm nine years old. I'm sitting in the principal's office. Again. Before this year, I had never been in trouble. But here I am, sitting in the office, again, waiting for my teacher to come in. She doesn't even talk to me when she gets in. She just hands me a note to send home to my parents. So I, I'm reading the note, and it says I'm here because I have no self-discipline, because my parents gave me no home training, because I burped in the hallway. It's, I'm, I'm confused because, see, I said excuse me, and my mom says when people burp, you're supposed to say excuse me, and everybody burps, right? But it doesn't matter. I take the note home like she told me to, and once again, I'm in big trouble with my parents. This is the fourth note she had sent home in three weeks. And in the note, my teacher says that basically students like me don't make it to college. Yeah, and I'm nine. This is the first time anyone has ever told me I'm not going to make it to college. And so, you know, after that first note, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't buy it. But note number four rolls around, and I actually start to believe her. Started to believe that I had no self-discipline, that I had no home training, that I wasn't a good enough student to go to college. And I carry those notes in my head for the next seven years. I spent five of those years getting grades so bad, I almost got kicked out of school. Like, just for me, can you all guess how low my GPA got in middle school? You, 3.2. <laughs> Who, who's got lower? Lower. Lower. Y'all are what? I'm about to get kicked out of school. 0.8. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised my mom still loves me. I did make it to college, and my mom does still love me. This is Same Same Different. I'm Bryce Huffman. I wanted to share that story because at that point in my life, I was letting someone else tell me who I was. Have you ever let someone tell you who you are or tell you what you can do or where you can go in life? It's trash. This show is about how we can write our own narratives. Today, we've got two people who are doing that. Ernesto Moreles pushed for a Chicano Studies program at Michigan State University. He's now at Prescott College in Arizona. Morena Kegiwa Onaiwu is also with us. She writes about being a woman of color with autism. Thank you both for being here. It's good to be here. All right. So I'm going to put 10 seconds on the clock, and I'd like you to both rattle off all the ways you identify. Uh, Ernesto, you can start. 10 seconds whenever you're ready. Husband, father, grandfather, son, man, Chicano, organizer, teacher. All right, cool. You did it in five seconds. Uh, and now your turn, Marina Kay. Okay. Exennial, black, West African advocate, mom, gifted, parent, writer, researcher, Stephen Universe fan, woman. All right, cool. Thank you. Uh, Marina Kay, I know you identify as autistic. Uh, could you tell me a little bit more about that? Sure. So growing up, I wasn't aware that I was autistic. It was something that I learned in adulthood after my two youngest children were diagnosed. And so initially, I didn't know what to call myself, even though this is the way I'd always been. Um, there were terms where people were saying they're a person with autism. And 
you know, I believe in per- person first language as a person who is a, you know, part of the disability community. But I started to think a lot about the identity first language. If you think about, you know, earlier when we were listing our different identities, we didn't say person with you know, marriedness or person (laughs) with Chicano, you know, or whatever, you know, I'm, you know, so I'm a woman. I'm not a person with womanness. I'm not a person with blackness, you know, so (laughs) why do we have to remind people that we are a person that should be Mm. a given? Mm. And so as such, it's, um, I am an autistic person, not a person with autism because it isn't a problem. It is a disability, but it isn't this wrong, deficient thing. When you got diagnosed into adulthood, how did that shape how you looked back at your childhood? It absolutely changed everything. It made so many things make sense. And like kind of the best analogy that I can give that I use sometimes is when you think about the movie The Sixth Sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at the end, when you realize... I, I, this is so horrible because I don't want to be a, do a spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen it. But the it's been like twenty super years. Old. Yeah, I'm like if you haven't spoiler seen away. it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like sorry, but <laughs> so when you realize that you know that Cole has known all along that Bruce Willis's character is a ghost, and that it's just that we didn't know, and then they show a few flashbacks of different scenes, and then you start thinking of some on your own. You're like, how the freak did I not know that? <laughs> like, goodness, it makes it so much sense, and that. That's how my life is. Like when I think back about my life, different experiences that I've had, it's so obvious to me and that I just don't, it, it, it just, you know, the whole hindsight is twenty twenty, you know, is so true. It's changed everything. It's transformed everything about my understanding of myself and my abilities and the way uh, people have interacted with me and the way that I treat myself today and, and view myself and all of that. So did it get to a point when you were younger where, um, although you hadn't been diagnosed, people treated you differently because you acted differently or? Oh, God, yes. I was so different. I mean, my whole life, I don't remember a time that I ever felt like part of, of, of anything. I felt so alien and so different. And I used to do things like watch my peers and go home in, in the mirror and practice practice the way they moved, practice the way they spoke so wow. that I could just blend in and not be different. I was I never could catch on to the jokes that people were saying. Um, I didn't understand the different hidden rules and unspoken things that people meant or said and just made life very complicated. I just I felt like I was just just didn't fit anywhere. I didn't belong at all. Yeah, wow. That that's a lot for a kid to you know, have to adopt the mannerisms of other people just to feel accepted. Yeah. Yes. When did you really start to like own your identities? Like when did when was it at a point where like other people aren't going to tell me anything about me? I'm going to be the one in the in the driver's seat. Growing up in our house, uh, we had a, a black father, a white mother, um, little brothers and sisters that were half black and half white and um, three of us that were half white and half Mexican. And so I think that um, we could choose and, and we did choose. My identification as a Chicano is completely my choice. It's it's my choice that I have a PhD in Chicano studies um, that I've spent my life, you know, organizing in the Chicano community. Those are choices that I made because I didn't have to to do that. You know, once once you also really kind of embrace the choice, you know, and you say this is what I'm going to do. 
I think it it makes it a it it makes it a lot harder for people to treat you as lesser. I mean, they can mm. try if they want to, but you know that's their choice. And um, I think that when we're sure about who we are because we choose to to do that or to be that, that that's a that's a much stronger position. I I love that. You know, thanks. Um, I had had growing up other experiences, you know, being female, being, um, you know, black, being um, a child of immigrants. And, you know, I, no teachers could ever pronounce my name like ever, you know, on the first day of school <laughs> when they paused. Yeah. I would just raise my hand. It's me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, because I already knew. So yeah. all of those different aspects, I had come to a point like when I graduated high school, I decided I'm going to use my name because all through school, teachers, you know, was raised in the Midwest and then later moved to Texas. Teachers just always gave me some kind of a nickname because they said my name was too hard. And so I decided, yeah, they were like, I'm not going to say that. I'm thinking, but you can say these complicated, you know, Eastern European names or whatever Mm -hmm. that people have, but there's no effort to say mine. And so when I graduated high school, I decided I'm going to use my name and people are going to call me by my name, not by a nickname to hide who I am. And so in terms of my identity, I started thinking about my kids. I didn't want them. Everything I read about autism was so depressing autism sufferers i may have autism but autism may not doesn't have me and you know he's locked away inside and you know hurry up early hit hard hit early early intervention so that you can change their life they'll almost seem indistinguishable from the norm i was like goodness gracious (laughs) you know what i mean like how am i supposed to raise a child that's to be proud of who they are when they think that everything about them is so horrible you know and so i wanted to find ways to instill pride in them and trying to find positive alternatives to see who they were. And then when I discovered myself, I was thinking it was even more so important for them and for me to realize this is me. This is Marana Kay. Um, I don't have to speak the way that other people speak. I don't have to move the way that other people move. I don't have to suppress myself and be in emotional and physical pain so that I can hide who I am. If they don't like it, screw it. I'm going to be me. (laughs) And I started to also use the term, you know, kind of like Ernesto mentioned, you know, stating, you know, I'm Chicano, you know, I openly identify as autistic, not because it, you know, people have to do that. Everyone's diagnosis is their business, but because I, I need to be a visible demonstration. Like I try to own it and no longer hide. I flipped it. It's kind of like how people took black, you know, James Brown say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. (laughs) It's about people taking their power and owning themselves. I think what, that what the sister is saying is, is, is super important to this conversation. I mean, particularly in, in the idea of using the word a diagnosis, right? Because people see identity as a diagnosis. Mm. This, is, this is what I am. And what happens is that we, we get trapped in this, in this box, right? If you're black, then you're this way. If you are Mexican, mm-hmm. then you are this way. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that there's nothing natural about identity. There's nothing natural about culture. Culture and identity are things that we construct every day through our experiences and and, and through our lives, right? I mean, yes, I'm Chicano. I'm I'm Mexican-American, right? But I'm not Chicano like somebody from East LA is Chicano. I'm Chicano from somebody on the east side of Lansing, Michigan, right? (laughs) It is contextual. It is environmental. There is no box that we need to cram ourselves into. There is enough space within any of these words. There's enough latitude within any of these ideas for us to be who we are. This is Same Same Different. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. So, Marenike, when you got diagnosed with autism, you were already an adult. 
How did that shape how you look back at your childhood? Once I started to share that I myself, you know, had an autism diagnosis, it was completely different. I'm the exact same person, but now I'm some kind of weirdo. Now I'm like... Um, you know, suspect or strange because I guess there was they felt there was a sense of camaraderie if we're all non-autistic people dealing with this problematic element in our lives with our children, you know. Mm-hmm. And I never felt that my, my children aren't problematic. This is who they are. I've noticed that it, depending on who, how the context I meet an individual, if they meet me as Maranike the professor or Maranike the person who does research, Maranike the advocate or the writer, that's different. If they meet me as Maranike the autistic adult, it's kind of yeah. like I'm no longer viewed as having any type of um, understanding or expertise or um, value. It's it's very, very um, dehumanizing and frustrating, yeah. you know, but also I've noticed that I've, I've taken better care of myself. So I used to really push myself, you know, for example, um, social settings or sensory things or, you know, communication to make things easier for those around me. And now I don't do that. And the people who are real in my life will understand. And the people who aren't will be like, I mean, whatever, but like I've had, it, I've, it's kind of like the litmus test for who truly is for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This has been great. Thank you both for just keeping it real with me. You can check out more from Marena Kay at autismandrace.com. You can also read her anthology book on that topic, All the Weight of Our Dreams. And Ernesto's working on a documentary right now about the fight to get a Chicano studies program going at Michigan State. You can check out the trailer at waroftheflea.org. Can I ask you a question before we go? Uh, yeah. Thinking about that teacher, did you ever think look that teacher up or write to them or yeah. share that they were wrong? I was wondering. You know, also. I... Our, so the school I was at closed when I was in sixth grade. Oh. After that, I couldn't remember what her first name was. Yeah. Um, oh, I see. But yes, um, I did, however, and I still do have contact with my high school teacher, um, Mrs. Kim Redigan. Uh, she taught me world religions. <laughs> she was the teacher that really made me realize that I am a good student and that I can go and do whatever it is I want. Do you have anyone you want to shout out that you're thankful for? Really, my family, I think, my my husband, my children, my um, parents, because when you have a world that makes you feel deficient or wrong or, you know, but then you have this safe haven that, you know, so for me, that's always been something that I've, you know, I've always been able to come back and um, regroup and recharge and know that I was loved. So yeah, I would have to echo the, the what the, the sister sentiment. Um, I mean, my my mother and my grandmother really for um, instilling a a deep sense of self in me and um, a pride in who I am. Um, My mother is a very unique individual growing up in a small town. Uh, Her first husband was Mexican. Her second husband was black. I mean, really one of the original race traders. And Mm -hmm. um, I love her for it. (laughs) I mean, she's, she's, she's something else. She's 70 now, but she's, she, she don't play. (laughs) And so, I mean, you know, my family, I mean, it's just, uh, it is a a miraculous rainbow of humanity. And um, every day when I think about how things are, I know how things can be. And um, I take that lesson with me throughout my life. Who's given you lessons you've carried with you throughout your life? Hit me up on Twitter at BryceHuffman313. You can also join the Same Same Different podcast group on Facebook. It's a place for you to talk with me and other fans of the show. 
The same, same, different team is me, Sarah Hewlett, and Jen Guerra. We also got some help from Bob Scon, Zoe Clark, Jody Westrick, Emma Winowicki, and Dustin Dwyer. Shout out to my guy Jack Phillipson for making the theme music and Sean Mack for making the logo. Big thanks to Stella's Lounge in Grand Rapids. That's where we record the story slams. Check out the artwork going on for each episode. This week's is by Arnold Hong. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It only takes a few minutes and it will help other people find the show. Until next time, peace. Peace.